Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today. My uh, my guest is Mr. Jeffrey Shaw. Uh, he is considered the lingo guy, and that's because he's the author of the best-selling book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. Now, Jeffrey uh, spent over three decades as one of the most sought-after photographers in the United States. He's really learned the secret of attracting ideal customers. He's also host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, is a, a keynote speaker as well as a TEDx speech uh, speaker. And we're really glad to have him here today. Jeffrey, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Well, thank you very much, Steve. I'm glad to be here with you. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about your book, but before we do, why don't you share with the listeners what fun thing you've been up to lately outside of work? Sure. Well, I have this crazy tradition. It's actually started many years ago, and it's kind of come in and out of my life, but um, I love to make waffles for people, and I'm relatively new in Miami. I've been here for about three years, uh, but I, I moved even within, I was living in Miami Beach. I moved to Miami just five months ago, and in a different part of the city, and I wanted to build community. So I once again started making waffles on Sundays. We call it Waffle Sunday, and uh, word has spread, and we have anywhere from six people to 20 people show up on a Sunday morning. I get to make wonderful homemade waffles from scratch, and uh, having done that now for a couple of months, and it's really caught on, it's actually launching a new podcast, which is going to be called Waffles with Jeffrey which are going to be uh, casual interviews that I will be doing over waffles while eating waffles with people. So that's been the most fun for me. I've built a, it's crazy. I just, I used to make waffles for my kids uh, on Sunday mornings and special holidays. And there's something about waffles. People gather. You mentioned you're going to make homemade waffles and people gather at your home. And I've completely built a community of people here and uh, yeah, really fun. So that's, that's, well, what, that's, that's my kind of fun. 
Well, that is fun. And uh, I mean, after all, most of us really love waffles. So that's a good thing. Congratulations. And they're that's good waffles. Thing. They're, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> scratch. And we, I got fruit on top and, and banana foster to top it off with and authentic Vermont maple syrup. So they're, all right, they're good en- enough already. We're all getting hungry and uh, we don't we don't need to go there. Well, come so, on down to Miami. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let, let's change and let's get let's talk about business for a little bit. Uh, in particular, I, I, I think your book is really interesting because you tell us uh, right off the bat that you're not really uh, just about learning how to attract your uh, ideal customers. You actually want us to change our life. And then you proceed to go about really teaching us how to do it. So I love the approach that you had. But if you don't mind, I'd like for you to start with your own uh, journey where when you started out with your own business, uh, how what you really thought you were doing and then how you discovered to change. I think it's a great sure. story and I'd love for our listeners to hear it. Yeah, well, it really certainly taught me the lesson of the importance of speaking the lingo of the people you want to serve, your ideal clients. Because I, at the age of 20 years old, I went off to photography school with ambitions to be kind of a high-end portrait photographer. And I went back to my hometown which was a couple hours, small country town, a couple hours north of New York City, but it was a small country town. And I struggled painfully there for three years until I finally realized that the problem, it wasn't that I wasn't good at what I did. It probably, the problem wasn't that people didn't, you know, want what I had to offer. The problem was I wasn't speaking their lingo, but because as a photographer and part of the reason why I charged a fairly high price for the economics of the area, uh, was because I believed in the importance of having photographs to hand down from generation to generation. And I believed in the value of having, of preserving childhood moments. So I was speaking the lingo of planning ahead, thinking for the future, handing things down, investing in portraits for children's memories. And I finally realized that this was an, a, a lower middle-class community that you know what, when you're struggling to, to pay your mortgage or your rent or wondering how you're going to get food on the table in the next couple of weeks, you're not thinking long term. So I'm, I'm speaking the lingo of planning ahead long term, which is justifying my, my high rates to an audience of people that are worried about how to get by today. Mm-hmm. And it was that awareness that I realized, well, that I, I had a choice. I could either change everything that I valued in the world or I could change who I was serving. Now, I'm just not a proponent of changing your values and who you are in the world. So I chose to change the market and realize that I needed to serve a luxury market who would have the discretionary income to afford to plan ahead. And if you look at it, you know, just psychographically, affluent people, people with discretionary income, they have the opportunity to plan ahead, right? They start saving for their kids' college education before they probably even gave birth. They have life insurance. They're their whole mindset, they, they, they are... They hold on to very strict traditions to hold, hand things down from one generation to another. So those are my people. Those are the people I needed to speak to, to, to reach. The problem was I didn't, coming from a lower middle class community, the problem was I didn't know their lingo. I didn't know their value system. I didn't know what made them tick. So I said, that's when I realized there's a difference by who, how you're speaking to people. And when I say speaking, it's, it's kind of metaphorically in the way that you communicate with your marketing but it's also how you, you speak to someone's values and, and truly the irony is that you're speaking to their most powerful unspoken emotions. 
Mm-hmm. Sort of like when you know to do something for somebody before they even know they need it. Right? It's that. Right. It's doing that for your customers. So I needed to understand what what moved my this this clientele that I knew nothing about. So I set about for three months to study the emotional triggers that drove the affluent market to make the buying choices that, that, that they did. I went to high-end brands and stores, but I wasn't really studying the brand as much as I was studying what did you experience when you went to that brand. If I were affluent, what does the world look like from my perspective? And that's, that's what I went about. And from that, I was able to build an, a deep, empathetic understanding as to how the world looked like to them, what they valued, what was important to them, how they lived their lives, their behavior, their lifestyle, and then build a business that felt like it was custom designed for them. Right? Because inherently, most businesses are built backwards. Businesses are born on ideas and built on ambition. And then we run around for years trying to fit people into the business. Where the right way to build a business is to have a, a deep, empathetic understanding of the people you want to serve, whether they're like you or not, and then build a business that not only provides for them, but it speaks to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd even add one other uh, thing, and that is that, uh, it, and it's driven by ambition, I ad- admit that, but. Uh, a lot of business people don't really they they don't really know who their ideal customer is. So what they try to do mm-hmm. is they try to sell to everyone, and they think everyone is who they're talking to, and that's just foolish because nobody uh, has any product that I know of that they're speaking to everyone. I mean, after all, no, we don't we absolutely. don't sell oxygen for people to breathe, and that's the only thing that I really know that everybody absolutely has to have, but we don't sell it. So this idea of not knowing your ideal customer, I think it's very common. And it's amazing to me that uh, very few of us really get to know who our ideal customer really is. Now, I know uh, you, uh, you tell a story about going into Bergdorf Goodman and really understanding that, you know, my goodness, they really did some things differently. I loved uh, your example of going in and seeing how they actually wrapped a simple thing like a candle. Uh, Do you mind just sharing that story? Because I think it's a great, powerful story. Yeah. And Bergdorf Goodman, for anybody that's not familiar with it, and honestly, 99.8% of the population is not familiar with Bergdorf Goodman. So Bergdorf Goodman is uh, it's an exclusive one-of-a-kind department store located on Fifth Avenue at 59th Street in New York City, one of the, boats, one of the, most, one of the busiest intersections in the world. And I point that out, especially when I'm on stage doing a keynote, to demonstrate the fact that there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people walking by that store every day and have, don't even notice it. It's eight stories. And the reason they don't notice it is for exactly what you said, because it's not for everybody. There's a small little plaque on the wall that even tells you the name of the store. <laughs> so it's not for everybody. Right? And yet hundreds of thousands of people are walking by it and don't even, don't even pay attention. It's just another building in, in you know, downtown Manhattan. So I went there specifically in my quest to understand the lingo of affluent people. And this was a store I don't, actually don't even know. I was 23 years old. I don't even remember at the time how I even knew of the store because there was no reason in the life I was living that I would even know of it. I think it must have been in a movie or something. But in I go, and I have $20. I was 23 years old, failing business. I had $20 to my name, and that was it. Um, 
so I, once I walked in and saw the marble floors, the chandeliers hanging, the impeccably dressed staff, I didn't even know if there was anything in this store for $20. It seemed really unlikely since most things were, you know, super expensive. <laughs> nonetheless, I went up to the, I mean, you know, especially the first department is all really expensive handbags and jewelry. I mean, there's nothing in sight for 20 bucks. You probably would tip the doorman more than $20. But I, I went up to the seventh floor, which is housewares. And I thought if there's any chance there would be some little trinket that I could find. And like you said, I found this tiny little votive candle wasn't in a holder. It was just like the little votive candle you put in an eighth holder. And, uh, but I asked for it to be wrapped because I already had surmised that presentation was a big part of the lingo of reaching this market. So I asked for it to be gift wrapped so that I could understand how to do it well. And I, I was brought over to the gift wrap department and um, I leaned over the counter of the, the gift wrap department and I said to the woman there sheepishly, I said, you know, can you show me how to make this look expensive and, and high quality? I'm trying to learn what rich people like. And she literally laughed at me, but she, she actually brought me behind the counter and proceeded to show me how to wrap this candle. So she took this candle and started wrapping it in wads and wads and wads of tissue paper. And then as she goes to put it in a silver metallic box, which is clearly their signature packaging, she stopped and she looked up at me and she said, don't use any tape. Simplest phrase, but it struck me so odd. You know, as I often joke, like in my family, I grew up in a family, we wrapped our Christmas presents in newspaper and duct tape. Like, <laughs> why don't you use any tape? So I had to ask, I said, why can't I use tape? And she said, oh, well, this clientele is very particular and would never want to be embarrassed by giving a broken gift. So before they give it as a gift, they're going to untie the ribbon to open the box, take the box top off, unfold all the tissue paper, make sure the candle's in perfect shape, put the tissue paper back, the top on, retie the ribbon, and then give it as a gift. They want to make sure it's perfect. And it was in that moment, as simple as that was, I had never heard of such a thing. And to me, that's when I coined the phrase secret language. This was like a secret language between this high-end brand and their customer. The customer knew that this brand got them, understood them, even understood how they were going to behave when they left the store. It was like a sign. It was a secret language. It was like an indicator of, you know, high end. And from that, I, that's when I got insanely curious. I realized that this is the way the world works. There was nothing wrong with the low end dollar stores that I grew up going to. They were just speaking a different lingo to the economic scale of where I grew up. And all I needed to do, and this is what I encourage others, and this is what I teach in my book, Lingo, all you need to do is to learn what I teach at the five primary emotional triggers for which if you understand those of your ideal client, your ideal customer, you can then build a business that serves them and a brand message that speaks to them. I totally agree. And you mentioned the five emotional triggers, and I don't want to go through all five, but I would like for you to mention a couple just to tease people to make sure they go and get this book, because I think they're going to learn a lot when they start thinking about their business. And they're going to say, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't really think this way, and I need to find out what, what it means to think like this. So talk about the, a couple of sure. those emotional triggers. Sure. I'll point out, so we don't have to go through all five, that it is important, and I say this in the book, you have to go through these five steps in order. And the reason is, is the fifth one 
is words, right? And I say that because this is how we know every business is built backwards, right? The way most people go into business, they go into business, they create a logo, they create a business card, they launch a website, and they fill mm-hmm. the website up with words, and then they don't know why they're not getting the, uh, any clients or enough clients or the right clients. It's because you're not speaking to the people you want, you need to speak to, which right. is why you can't, you can't apply words in your business and marketing and on your website until you've gone through the four previous steps. So the first one is perspective. That's understanding the 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 world of the people you're going to serve. We'll skip. We'll skim over that one. The second one, familiarity, is one of the strongest human emotions that we know of. Familiarity stands out and creates comfort. Mm -hmm. So what is one of the greatest things you can do for your business is to understand what already feels familiar to your customers. What brands are they currently interacting with? How do they live? Do they go to box? One of the exercises I sometimes will give uh, clients, and I, I do a lot of group workshops, is what, what grocery store do you imagine or know that your ideal customers go to? Right? Why do I ask that? Well, because there's a very different set of priorities and values and feeling to Whole Foods versus Trader Joe's versus ShopRite versus Costco. So if you can even understand like what grocery store is, is your ideal customer likely to go to, it will tell you what, what, what environment feels familiar to them. Are they the big box store, Costco type of person? Is that what's familiar to them? Discount and big store and, and you know, the, the struggle of the volume? Or are they a Whole Foods shopper? Is that what's familiar to them where it's intimate and, you know, the high emphasis on quality and organic? Because then what, you, you don't want to copy, but you want to replicate the feeling. Familiarity is completely an emotion, a strong uh, human emotion. It not only creates comfort, but it also stands out. What is familiar to us stands out. I would challenge anyone, if you travel to a, a Europe, I challenge anyone to not notice a Starbucks or a McDonald's logo. You can't not see it, right? Because mm-hmm. it stands out, because it's familiar to you. So recreating what feels familiar because you take the time to understand your ideal clients, it's a, it will draw them in. They know they're in the right place because it feels familiar to the world they're used to traveling in. So true. Absolutely true. And I, I think uh, that every step that you've outlined uh, in the book takes you on a journey uh, of how to think properly about your business and about your customer. Uh, But what's interesting to me uh, and very unusual uh, is that you go through the business part of it, but you you actually conclude the book uh, by really talking to people about how they should change their daily habits. Now, that's very unusual. I'd like to know why you did that, number one. I mean, because just to share with our listeners, number one, he goes through six essential daily practices that you've got to go through. And I, and I find each one of those extremely helpful myself. But what what made you think to do that, Jeffrey? Because it's very unusual. <laughs> it, it is. I had to quite honestly kind of fight hard for that because um... – you know, my, my peers were telling me that's a crazy thing to do in a business book. You don't do that. And my editor wasn't so sure whether that was a good idea. Um, but I did it because I just, I refused and I was very clear on this doing the book. To me, success in life and business is the combination of three things. 
Yes, it is having the strategies, particularly in business, right? You have to have strategies that work for you. But you also have to have the right mindset to unblock what's holding you back. And then the third is you have to have daily practices that create a positive flow. If any one of those three things are missing, so you've got strategy, you've got mindsets to unblock what's keeping you back, and you've got daily practices to create a positive flow. If any one of those three things are missing, it's why people work really hard but hardly get ahead. That's the living on a hamster wheel. What I didn't want to do in a business book was to create yet another business book that was all strategy. I, that's, that's the two, first two-thirds of the book are all strategy. But I didn't want to stop there. I didn't want to just get people into action but not help them unblock their mindsets that are holding them back and to give them practices that would help them create a positive flow. So that's, that was the premise behind it. And you know, I'll share, if you, if you want, I'll share what I, the most beneficial daily practice uh, that I have found, I completely made up. It's called a what's going right journal. Mm-hmm. And it has been the only daily practice tool that I think I've ever stuck with such over such a long period of time, um, other than walking my dogs in the morning. <laughs> but the, the idea behind the what's going right journal, it kind of, it's a spinoff of a gratitude journal. I, to be honest with you, Steve, I always struggled with gratitude journals because if I wake up in the morning, I'm breathing and it's a beautiful day. What's not to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a hard time for grateful, uh, for grateful journals to be actionable for me. So instead, I played with this idea of what's going right and taking the time every morning to observe what's going right in my life. You know, maybe I'm getting introductions from people. Maybe I'm getting new clients. Uh, maybe, you know, it could be a personal and business. But it, it not only forces you to take the time to acknowledge what's going right, it's also scientifically working with the brain. Because we inherently, our brains are wired for survival, so we always see what's going wrong first. It's why we can hear nine compliments, one constructive criticism. The only thing we can remember is the constructive criticism. Yep, and we focus focus on on it it for the next two weeks instead of... Yeah, we can't let it go go. instead of the nine nine compliments, right? I I this as a speaker all the time. I'll get off the stage and a hundred people will tell me it was the best speech ever, but one person will give me a constructive criticism and I can't get my mind off of it. So this, this idea of the what's going right journal starts reprogramming the brain because what we also know is that what you focus on, you get more of. Yeah, absolutely. Going right, no matter how subtle. And boy, in some days, it's not so easy because some days it feels like nothing's going right in your life. Mm-hmm. But forcing yourself to find what's going right and it will turn your day around. And I believe it's the best practice for actually creating a positive flow. It's like opening the floodgates. So if you do that, you, you get in the right mindset so you're not blocking yourself and you have strategies. That's where success in life and business comes from. Jeffrey, I totally agree with you. And, and frankly, I think if you're going to have a great business, you have to have a what's going right journal because you need to know what your great customers, your best customers are telling you that they love about what you do. Because if you yeah. don't know that, you can't replicate it. You can't yep. attract the right kinds of customers. And uh, the best way to grow your business is to sell to more people that love what you do. It's that simple. Absolutely. And But if you don't yeah. know it and you're not practicing it yourself, you're in trouble. I, I, I just want to tell my listeners right now, Jeffrey, that 
even if they didn't really want to learn how to talk to their customers, which I think would be stupid, but even if they didn't want to look at the strategies that you have in Lingo, I think they should buy the book, if nothing else, to learn how they themselves should think and therefore how to really coach their own teammates how to think. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. And well, I think you did a phenomenal job uh, about that. And I would uh, enjoy the book if nothing but the last third was there. It was really well done. Uh, Thank you. It was, uh, yeah, it was, and, and, and keep, and I'll just add to that, that these are really, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like your, your audience, uh, I, I'm not looking for things to be complicated. So this is, these are simple daily practices and simple yep. mind. It just gets to the point, not overly complicated. I think that's important. I think it's uh, essential. So uh, very well done, my friend. Well, uh, Thank you. Jeffrey, I know people are going to want to know much more about your work and how to connect with you. Why don't you share how they can do that? Sure. So something I like to offer to certain podcasts, not all, but, you know, when I feel like you know, I can tell the host has a, a genuine connection to their audience, um, here's, here's my gift to, to, to you and your listeners, and it is an opportunity for me to do uh, a quick audit, a quick review of your website so that I can see whether you, in fact, are speaking the lingo of your ideal customers or not. Uh, and all you need to do is go to lingoreview.com, and there's a very simple questionnaire which asks you who you think your ideal customer is and what you think you're saying to them. And then I hop over to your website. And I can tell you, Steve, that 98 out of 100 websites, and this is statistical research, 98 out of 100 websites that I look at, they are not speaking the lingo of their ideal customers. And then I will email, email you back with some quick changes I think you can make to make all the difference in getting the results that you want. Lingoreview.com. Yeah. Lingoreview.com. So I love it. Yeah, and it's a super fun thing for me to do. And like I said, when I can tell a host has a good connection to their audience, um, it's, a, it's a fun thing to offer. So if you do that, then on the page, there's a link, there's a link to my book, Lingo, so you can follow up with your own learning if you want, and, uh, and plenty of ways to contact me. Awesome. And uh, for those of you that are exercising, we'll be sure to include a link uh, directly to the website that Jeffrey just mentioned. I highly encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, Jeffrey, before we uh, close today, I'd like to uh, in, leave with our listeners one or two action items that you believe they should take today to improve their lives. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to hear what your recommendation would be to our listeners. Well, you know, one of, uh, you were talking about finding your ideal customer, and it is truly a challenge for a lot of people. So, I'll, I'll leave you with an actionable exercise that you can do. Finding uh, my my approach to defining your ideal customer is completely backwards to most. It actually starts with you, because the, your ideal customers are the people that already value what you do, right? It's not your job to prove your value to anyone. It is your job to find the people that already value what you do. So, in order to define your ideal customers, it starts with you. And one of the one of your strongest assets that people overlook are uh, your innate characteristics. So the exercise, the actual item to do is to sit down and make a list of compliments that you've heard throughout your life. Pay particular attention to those compliments you want to brush off. And the reason you want to brush them off is it's so natural to you, you don't see the value in it. But the world has been complimenting you on this, 
And that's actually pointing that that's that's you at your highest value. And that will help you then ask the fundamental question, which is the title of chapter two in the book, which is who will love that? If you break down your innate characteristics, your skill set, what makes you unique, then ask, well, then who would love that? That's how you define who your ideal customer is, who will already love you for who you are and what you do and value what you offer. What a great uh, action item. Jeffrey, thank you so much for sharing that today. My guest today has been Jeffrey Shaw. He's the author of Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. Thank you for sharing your wisdom today. We wish you continued success in your book. And uh, I hope you uh, cook an awful lot of waffles in the future. So uh, <laughs> congratulations. Glad to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, Steve. Pleasure to be here.